Welcome to Trained Up, a podcast where we train in the word so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. My name is Luke, and I am currently in seminary, working my way to to be in the pastorate. And this is my mom, who will be in every episode. Hi, I'm back. So, mom, what is our passage that we're looking into today, and why are we looking into it? Well, uh, we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, And the reason we're doing it is uh, today's verse is probably uh, one of the most misused verses in the Bible. That's just my opinion. Um, I'm sure if you face any kind of hardship in your life, someone has said to you, God will never give you more than you could handle. Mm. Have you ever heard that? I have heard that several times. And that would be great. But that is not at all what this verse says. And that saying alone pretty much goes against the rest of the Bible. Um, yeah. So, examples that we have in the Bible. So that's that's the verse we're going to look at, and probably just because it's pretty misused. Yeah, I think that part of the time people take this this idea to mean that... that the Christian, it, it like makes the Christian walk easier than it really is. And we fool ourselves by saying, oh, I'm only going to get pitched softballs from now on. I'm not, the, the, the fast pitches are gone. God, God is only going to deal lightly with me. Right. Right. And that's, I don't think that's true. And so I, I think that this can fly in the face often of what the verse itself actually wants to communicate. Um, right, and it's so prevalent. This this like, this is so prevalent. It's actually like spawned a counter like paraphrase, going the other way, which is God won't give you more than He can handle. Um, which which I think you know we're getting closer, we're getting warmer, but even that doesn't quite capture I think the the nuance and the reality of what the passage is in its context. Right, I think part of the problem with that is. You know, a lot of churches will say things like, um, you know, you need to come to Christ. You need to put your faith and trust in him um, because that's, you know, your life will greatly improve when that happens, you know. And so you, you begin to think that this is true, that he, okay, once I, once I do that, once I, you know, have full trust and obedience to God and you know, come to Christ, then he won't give me more than I can handle. It'll be, you know, smooth sailing from there. God has a plan for your life, which he does. Yeah. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. it seems like that kind of feeds into it. Just like this, Yeah. come to Christ and then your life will get all straightened out. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so let's read it and then we'll get into the, some of the context of it and talk about it more. So first Corinthians ten thirteen says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. There it is. There it is. So let's talk about context, Luke. What, you know, what's the context of where this verse falls? Yeah, so uh, 1 Corinthians... We'll, we'll look at the book first, and I don't actually have a ton to say about the book, cause, just because I don't know that that in general has a ton of bearing on our passage specifically, but 
1 Corinthians is the second letter that Paul writes to the city of Corinth. Um, we know because of these letters, we know that he wrote one before this one that we don't that isn't in the Bible, and he wrote one in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And we don't have those two letters, and that's probably because God didn't need them included in the canon. So they're not part of Scripture, but just to be aware, this is the second of, of four letters. And Paul spent, on his missionary journeys, Paul spent a, a year and a half in the city of Corinth with these people. And I say that just to highlight how well he knows these people. There are a lot of churches on Paul's missionary journeys that he spends a month with or even only like a week with. But the city of Corinth is the church he spends the second longest amount of time with, only beaten by uh, Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, um, which he spent three years in, so double the time he's been here. But all that to say, he knows the Corinthians really well as he's as he's writing writing this. And 1 Corinthians is comprised of 10 different topics. It's kind of, as far as, far as like epistles, it, it's kind of scattered in that he's trying to address a ton of different things, a ton of different problems he sees in the church all at once, all in this one letter. And so of these 10 topics, our passage, which is 1 Corinthians 10, 13, falls in the section that is 8, 1 through 11, 1. And that section talks about eating meat sacrificed to idols. And the question being, can we do that or can't we do that? And I think that discussion has some bearing on what we're talking about. But if we zoom in a little even closer, just to chapter 10, where our passage is, we get Paul going off on this idea, focusing a little bit closer on idolatry and our, our responsibility to avoid sin because of the examples we have. Okay, so that, because there, he's, he's generally talking about can we eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols, this, this particular chapter 10 is just coming in, in more focus on the actual problem of idol worship. Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah, we're, we're, we're focusing down on the, the, the more abstract sin problem. And to do that, he's going to tighten down on this idea of, of um, idol worship. I almost said ideology, but you can have ideologies. Um, he's tightening down on this, this ideal of uh, this thought of idol worship um, that has plagued Israel before them and is now threatening to plague the Corinthian church as well. And he sets up, actually, I'm not going to say that yet, but yeah. Okay. All right. So he, what I saw here is that, you know, like you said, he's taking examples of what happened with the Israelites and bringing it to light again to the church in Corinth because it, there, it's a good example of how, how, you know, warning us against being disobedient and rebellious and um, using it as an example for us. So even in, in verse six, he literally it says that. So I'll read that. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So he's putting it right out there. Like these, I'm going to use the Israelites here as an example for us uh, of what not to do, you know. Um, and then 
in verse 11, I think he says something similar here now. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So he's just putting it out there. You know, it's not hard to figure that out when it's all laid out in black and white. Like, listen, I'm going to use these people as an example for you of what not to do. So that's kind of cool, which goes against... Some people who are currently in our culture, some pastors in our culture who are saying we need to unhitch ourselves as Christians, as Christ followers from the Old Testament. When you have Paul and just numerous places in the New Testament that look back to the Old Testament and the prophecies and everything that happened in the Old Testament, bringing it into the New Testament, it really makes it difficult to unhitch, and we certainly should not do that. Right, right. And over and over and over again, Paul is going to use, Paul or another writer of either the Gospels or another epistle is going to use these either direct quotes or allusions to the Old Testament or set up types um, to, to relate to the Old, Te- the Old Testament to the New Testament. And we have a lot of, of big theological principles that come from uh, what's called typology, which is seeing something in the Old Testament and recognizing its, I'm going to use another big word, antecedent in the New Testament. So seeing two things that link to each other and their similarities and or differences and using that to differentiate things. That was like a 10-point word of Scrabble. I literally don't know how to say that (laughs) in a less convoluted way. Wow. That was a big 10-point word. Yeah. All right. And we're going to talk about typology. I'm playing Scrabble with you on my team. I just wanted to introduce this idea of typology because I'm going to bring it up later in this podcast. I love it. I don't know how to talk about it in a non-academic way. It's cool. All right, so when I looked at this, okay, Mm -hmm. it was specifically this example of the Israelites. Um, What stood out to me was that there were some examples of almost categories of sin, right? Okay. And then I had read an article. Of course, I can't ever remember where I read these these articles. But I had read an article um, about this, too, and just kind of the breakdown of, of the specific types of sin that Paul is pointing to or the specific types of disobedience that he wants us to look back to the Israelites and really stand out to us and really pay attention to so that we don't come and fall under the same problems, right? Um, so the four that, that, that um, I saw and also when I was reading this article, the first is idolatry. Obviously, we talked about that. This is right. this this verse is in a passage, you know, a group of verses that deal with idol meat and and idolatry. Yeah. Um, the second is sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. The third being putting Christ to the test, and the fourth being grumbling. So those four things really stood out to me, and also um, were things that people pointed out as I was reading different things about this passage. So I just wanted to kind of break those down. Can we break those down? We can certainly break those down. Break it down. Here we go. So idolatry, what does that look like today? Let's talk about that for a minute. So, yeah, we're not building golden calves in the middle of the desert. Right. Uh, but what does idolatry look like 
for us today in this culture. Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to do this quickly. But for them, this whole problem arises because really the only place you can get meat is in an idol's temple. Um, and you could see the kind of mixed message that could send to other people just watching you eat meat that was just sacrificed there. Right. I don't have that problem currently. I, I can get my meat at Walmart. Although, you know, what is Walmart? But Stuff Mart. I think our idolatry is less, you know, big statue of God and more, or of a God rather and more what am I prizing or putting, you know, assigning value to it that is disproportionate to what it is. So my son has a lot of value to me. I value him immensely. I love him a lot. But if I assign him a value higher than God, he's an idol to me. I am committing idolatry because I've put my son in the place of, of where God ought to be. So idols to us can even be people. Oh, yeah. Many Not idols just are. objects. Yeah. I think maybe, and you might agree or disagree with this, I think the two biggest idols are money, which Paul will warn about, warn us about continually. Right. Or... We did a whole podcast on we that. We did. We just did one. <laughs> or... It's hard to remember we're recording this in such a weird way. Um, or family. I think family is, is the like second biggest idolatry, at least in our country, in our context. Okay. Right? I don't know that that's, you know... I, True around the if world. If I went to France, it might be different. I don't know. Wee oui, wee. Oui. But <laughs> I just know. Yes, it could be very different in different countries. So I, and so yeah, I would agree with that. Family yeah. is probably, could be, could be a big idol if you're putting that. What does it mean, though... I, you know, I just, I just need to break that down a little further. When you're, when you say putting something above God, what does that really look like? Day to day, you know, living that out. I love my family, but how do I know, like, what, what's my litmus test on this? How do I know if I'm placing my family above God or anything for that matter? Yeah. Um, the, the easiest example I can think of, of a clear, I, you know, I've chosen this above God is when we we prize athletics, we prize either like watching athletics or participating in them or our kids participating in them. Um, and that's perfect for us. We're Yinzers. This whole city, this true. whole town is yeah. about athletics. Right. And we so I think often and you know kids wreck sports happen all the time and um, and a lot of times Sundays are game days for these kids recreational sports but if what i do on on the sunday right on the day i'm commanded by god to meet together with fellow believers and worship him if i if i forego that if i'm always saying uh, well we're not going to go because we have this game if i'm always picking this activity over that mm -hmm. it shows that i i want to be at that game more than i want to be in the house of God okay, with I'm gonna, the people of God. I'm going to pick that apart a little okay, bit. pick it apart. Go ahead. So you're saying that Sunday is the only day that we can gather in the fellowship of worshiping God with other believers. I am saying that 
Sunday is the day that has been set apart for the Sabbath. I think that... By whom? You, the early church. I think that you can... I think that there's a way to have your Sabbath on other days. I think our problem is this meeting together requirement. And right. so we all as a society, you know, from the days of the early church, from the founding of this idea mm-hmm. of meeting together on Sundays, we have, we've all kind of said, okay, Sundays are when we're going to have church services. Mm-hmm. So that's when everybody gets together, the pastor preaches, and, you know, mm-hmm. this is kind of how we formed, how society functions. So that is the simplest day to meet that requirement. Now, if your church does like a Saturday night service, which I've seen some churches do, that's possible you're meeting together with brothers and sisters and you're worshiping God together on that day. You can have your Sabbath then. Right. Okay. I, w- I would argue you ought to watch that work then. You ought to not be working on Saturday if, if that's what you're treating as your Sabbath. But Now that's a whole other podcast. But yeah, that's, that's a different like podcast. sounding like a very strict Sabbatarian I'm there. super strict, but... Uh, that's another podcast. Yeah, let's discuss that in oh, another podcast. So but idolatry, though, it, I can tell, right? I, and you don't have to do this with athletics. Do it with anything. I mean, do it with any. Like, I want to go out. Um, like, I want to go do anything else other than meet with the people of God and, and worship and worship God on Sunday. I want. I think of even. And I'm terrible. I'm not good with this. I, I don't I don't do well with this. Um, even when you think about, okay, if I go on vacation to the beach or something, what do I do then if there's a Sunday there, right? Do I, you know, do I find a church there and go? Because I think maybe we ought to. Wow. Or is my priority I want to relax and I want to, you know, and that's fun. Yeah, I'm Relaxing really good is good. Either. Relaxing is fine, and and in fact, on the Sabbath, you ought to rest. That's mm-hmm. fine. But have you met together with the believers? Or is is that your desire? Are you wanting to do that, or have you mm-hmm. idolized your relaxing? Mm-hmm. A good thing that God gave you that you've now put in the place of Him, and you've subverted His place. And that's what idols are. They're good things given to us by God that we've taken and put in the place of that God should occupy. Absolutely. I agree. I totally agree. So, but it can be tempting. So it can be things, it can be people, it can be relaxing, it can be a lot of different varying things, but if it's, so you're saying basically if it's keeping you from, or if it's inhibiting in any way your worship of God, your your devotion to God, your commitments to God, then that's probably become more of an idol to you. Yeah. Okay. That makes a little more sense. And I think I, I think a harder test is if it was clear that you ought to give it up, would you do it? That's a great question and so hard to answer. But sometimes, for me at least, thinking about this, that's the litmus test for me is is asking myself and being honest in my answer if god were to ask me to give this up how much would i struggle doing that and would i refuse to do that yeah that's a pretty big litmus test it's a good test i I just think it's harder to practically employ because i think it's easy to say oh sure i would before it's you're required to right absolutely 
So let's move on to number two. Number two. Uh, sexual immorality. That one's not hard to figure out. I think we can all, uh, you know, pretty much understand what sexual immorality is and how and why that's been brought up as, hey, look back at this. This is something we shouldn't be falling into, something we should be fighting against. And something that's actively led to the worshiping of idols, actively led to the straying of Israel over and over again. Right. Uh, which God warns them about. Yeah. And so that when we look at Paul's example pulling from the people of Israel who just left Egypt. That's what God said. Don't take wives from these foreign women because they will bring you away to their gods. Tied into idolatry again. Yep. All right, then we have number three, which is, uh, this one was kind of confusing to me at first, putting Christ to the test. I was like, what does that mean? How am I, how do I go about putting Christ to the test? Um, and then if you look at... If you look at this a little closer, and then I was reading something that said, okay, go back to where that actually happened, you know, that Paul is referring to. And it's from Numbers 21, 4 through 5. So maybe we should read that. Yeah. And and that will help us understand what what it means to put Christ to the test. Numbers 21, 4 through 5? Yeah. Okay. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against Moses and against God. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we loathe this worthless food. So that kind of helped me understand a little bit about what it means to put Christ to the test. Um, and just that it's speaking out against God, you know, and, and saying things like worthless food. I mean, he provided this for you and then you're kind of almost spitting in his face going, this is worthless food. It's not worthless. I mean, yeah, it might be bland and you might be sick of it, but it's definitely not worthless. Um, so it's, it's about speaking out against God, his provisions that kind of thing. So putting Christ to the test. And I think that's definitely um, something I have struggled with is just speaking out against God and saying, what, you know, what, what have you done here? What, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Now, I think we also have examples in scripture, like the book of Job, where Job is speaking out and saying, praying these things but he's praying them to god and not speaking them out against god well i think job is also wrong i don't think job's right to do what he did i think the at the end of the book that's why god comes down so harsh on him is because he is doing this he he is he is putting christ to the test i don't actually think he's doing this one so much as he's doing the fourth one oh the grumbling um, yeah, but he, because the test is already done, right? He's already received the, the damage. The right, damage has right. been dealt. Yeah. Um, but I think that there's a lot of, I, I think that, like, putting God to the test can be tough, I think, especially for those of us who have, like, maybe a, a, a kind of, we'll say, like, surface level understanding of of scripture and of the stories in scripture because sometimes there's stories that, that are kind of confusing on this right we think about gideon and the fleece he puts out well this is 
This is quite literally him testing God. I mean, he's right. He's he, he does it twice, and God answers that. Right. And so we're like, well, well, wait a minute. God seemed to respond to Gideon and answer that. Always with these stories, we have to say, okay, is this prescriptive? As in, is this an equation? Does it always equal this or descriptive? Which is something I actually think we talked about in an earlier podcast too. Um, is this describing what happened? Saying God in his infinite mercy and wisdom dealt with Gideon in a way that Gideon accepted, in a way that Gideon Gideon responded to. Because God felt it necessary to condescend to Gideon to do that. Or is this saying every time I put a fleece out and say, God, let me know what you want me to do, it'll get wet. It's not the second one. I don't know if you've put a fleece outside recently. Mm-hmm. That's not it. So it's I get why people have a hard time with this testing God thing. Because it can sometimes seem like, well, doesn't that happen sometimes in the Bible? Um, I think... It's God will allow it. Are you saying God will allow it at times to further his purposes, but it's not, it's not good. It's not what he wants us to do. Right. So many times in the Bible and in our lives, right, many times God spares us of the damage we cause ourselves, of the damage we ought to bring upon ourselves, right? And a lot of times in Scripture, specifically I think more so in the Old Testament, but there's New Testament examples, um, it doesn't say, and God thought this was dumb of Gideon to put the fleece out, but he did it anyway. It doesn't say that, right? But since we know more about God than Gideon knew about God, because we have the whole testimony of scripture we know that this is god condescending to gideon this is god overlooking gideon's unbelief in his mercy right in his mercy and his grace to gideon and saying okay gideon i'll play along with the sheep kind of like i as a father of a two-year-old sometimes say all right jesse let's work through this on your level let's go through it step by step not for me because i don't need that but he does Mm mm-hmm and so God, in his graciousness, lets us do that. But this is not what you're supposed to do. Right. And we shouldn't get that confused. And putting out of the test is sin, and it is a, a falling away from what, we ought, from what we ought to do. So that's why it's here as an example of what not to do, basically. Right. And then the grumbling kind of goes hand in hand with that. Like, at first I was like, why is this here, grumbling? I mean, we are so guilty of grumbling you know about the smallest things about big yeah. things um but there's it just seems like okay these first three seem pretty serious you know yeah. and then you throw in grumbling it's almost like just in case any of you thought you were outside of the realm <laughs> we of got you on this last being able to fall into sin yeah. here's a good one you yeah. know that's gonna hit pretty much everyone i know yeah. i don't know about you but grumbling I think is included, at least in my opinion, because when we grumble, um, we are not grumbling about the specific situation or to, you know, we may be grumbling to another person, but you are really grumbling to God and his provisions and, you know, so what he's provided and how he has um, laid out things in your life. And, and sometimes your own sin creates trouble. 
but you're still grumbling to God about it. Yeah. Yeah, we're grumbly. We're very humans, grumbly. Humans are, are pretty grumbly. Uh, even in Numbers 21, that passage we read, that's them grumbling. Yeah, they're grumbling too. food. They're testing God and they're grumbling all at the same time. Right. You know, that's that's definitely another example of, of that grumbling. Yeah. Um, it's pervasive, really. You know, I think it's it's almost... It's almost encouraged. Like if you're if you're on the ticky talkies and you're watching a lot of the ticky talkies, <laughs> TikTok is not good for it's you. It's just a lot of it is just complaining and grumbling about life, and it's okay, funny, you know, like it's kind of funny when you're joking about these things, sure, and how you know horrible your life is and this, that, and the other. But but it is truly grumbling, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, I, uh, we're just, we're good at that. And this, they all, all of these things will link back to his idea, overall idea of, of idolatry being a problem. They all can be, we can extrapolate them out and say they're forms of idolatry. When I grumble, what's my idol? Me. I'm my idol. Because I want comfort or I yep. want... More money, or I want. I don't what want, I want quail this evening. I would like another meat. But if you've had a quail done just right, I you know, <laughs> I have to assume that the Israelites on their way fleeing from Egypt didn't quite. Gordon Ramsay didn't make it in that in that trip, is what I'm saying. Maybe it was wrong. Well, maybe he did. Maybe he did. Oh, it was... <laughs> that might just stay, just because. I know how much you love Gordon Ramsay. I like cooking shows, not going to lie. Yeah. So, all of that to say, all of the, the context there, when we move into our passage, I want to read verse 12, right? The okay. first, right before our passage. Do it. Because I think it helps us understand what, what we're talking about in our passage. So, verse 12 says, Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. So, right before, right, he's mentioned these sins of Israel. He set this up, and right before he gets to our passage, he says, pay attention to yourself. If you think you're good, watch your step. Right. And then he comes into our passage. And our passage is a passage of reassurance. It's good that people use it that, that way, because I think that is, is what, our, what our passage means. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's saying... I, what I really like about... Well, first of all, what we really like about our passage is is the promise at the end, obviously, because you're right. Well, none of us are immune to these falling into these types of things. Um, but I love that at the end, he's saying, you know, all these temptations that are coming your way, I will provide a way out. Um, so the bottom line to me is, you know, we have to do our part. We need to look back at this. The Israelites see, you know, take a look at these examples and see how we may be struggling in these same ways um, and have to fight against that. And we have to do our part and fight against it. But God, in his mercy, always provides a way out. So our job to me is also, you know, staying obedient as much as we can in the strength of God and then looking for ways, looking for these ways that he provides, you know, being aware that there will be a way is one thing, but also looking for it. And I'm not sure, 
I feel like a lot of times with a lot of these, you know, these four things specifically that we were talking about here, I feel like we're always thinking of, um, or asking the question, how much can I get away with, you know, and still be under the obedient tent mm -hmm. and not disobedient. So how far yeah. up to that line can I go? And the question should be more, how, how much more can I become like Christ? Not, yeah how how much can i get away with you know and when you're looking for when you're asking the question how much can i get away with you're not really looking for that way out that he's providing yeah you certainly haven't taken heed no. lest you fall because you've <laughs> no. got right up to the edge of the cliff and you're looking over it like i don't know it's not that bad I, I could probably yeah yeah i yeah and we there's lots i think of example of like specific examples of that thing um, but yeah, I think the two things, the two reassurances, and they're not soft reassurances. I think they're hard. Right. But the two reassurances that Paul gives us in our passage is one, there's no special temptation. There's nothing that's going to come at you from out of left field that nobody's ever dealt with before that is un, that you're just wholly Unable, there's no chance that you, that, you know, that there's a way out of this, that you're, you're just sunk, right? Right, right. There's no monster that's going to come out of the closet and eat you. And you have nothing to do because you can't stop the monster. That's not what's going to happen. All temptation is common to man. Right. And by being common to man, temptation is also common to our Lord and Savior. Right. Who, who took on our flesh. And so, we know... As long as we believe he lived a sinless life, right? We know the temptation that there that there's a way out for us, right? And that there's no like monstrous temptation. Because if anybody was gonna get that, it would probably have been him. Correct. Right? And we see in the, you know, Matthew four and um, the temptation narratives in all of the gospels, we see Satan attempt to to pull all the stops he has to try and get Jesus to cave. And he, right. And he doesn't. I would encourage people to read Matthew chapter 4 because I think his response in that is really key to what we need to be doing when we're tempted. Yeah. You know, his response was in all the temptations there his 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 first words were were uh, important. Yeah. Yeah. His it's so every time, right, that Satan will will tempt Jesus, he, Jesus responds with, it's written. You know, he goes right back to the words um, yes. of Scripture and uses them to reinforce what, he's, what, what he is saying to Satan that is true and, and right. So he's referring to Scripture when yeah, he says it over. is written over and over every time he's tempted. Um, and I think that's important because, um, and I've heard this, I had a friend say to me one time, if you're not in the word on a regular basis, and it's even daily, I think she said daily, if you're not in the word daily, then you do not, you're not in the battle. So, you know, we have to get to know God's word because it's, it's our sword. You know, and if we haven't picked God's word up every day, then we're not in the battle. And we are to be fighting our sin. You know, we're fighting our flesh. We're fighting our own 
selfish desires and falling into this sin and these temptations. One of the main ways he gives us to know how to do that is his word. And he even, Jesus even says, you know, it is written when he is tempted to refer us back to his word, to scripture. So if we're not, if we're not in the word, if we're not um, really getting to know the word, it, it just, uh, we're not in the battle. We haven't picked up the sword. We're not even in the fight. We're not even in the fight. So yeah. I think that's important. Well, yeah. I mean, if you think, so if we extend, if we take that analogy, if we extend that analogy, if I don't, if I just pick up a sword and you start waving it around on a battlefield, right, we'll assume that everybody has swords, right? Um, you're not trained with it. You don't have any skill with it. You're not able to fight effectively and wield that effectively. So if you haven't, if you don't, if we don't engage with our weapon and train so much with that with that sword so that it ends up feeling like it is part of us like it's so close to us that we, it might as well be our limb it might as well be what who we are then you are you're unprepared to face to face what we're going to have to face this level of intentionality and this level of familiarity with our with the word is the goal because that's what it means to take heed that's what it means to to watch ourselves lest we fall into these same things that the israelites are falling into and the second promise which you you even talked about before is that that god will provide the way out right that god provides a way out and i think one of the things that that we ought to remember with this is that that way out there's no promise that that way out's easy Oh, yeah, because we think, oh, he's going to give right. us the door. We're yeah. going to walk through the door, and then we're going to be walking into rainbows and unicorns after that. Yeah. Nope. No. No. It might be hard. There are, you know, and I think that this usually depends on the gravity and duration of, of our sin, but, you know, and of the temptation that we're, we're facing. But that way out can be painful and, and sometimes ought to be painful. Because sometimes that is the only way we will learn, and that is the way that God chooses to sanctify us, is through some painful lessons. I wish we could learn these lessons without that, but I don't seem to be able to do that very well, and I haven't heard too many people who are like, oh yeah, I'm always learning stuff the easy way. Right. So so I don't I, I think that because of that this way out that is promised to us. And that's a good thing. And we shouldn't overlook the fact that that's a good thing. Yes. That, but that way out does not have to be easy. And we don't deserve it to be easy. Mm -hmm. And there's no guarantee that it will be. But we know it will be worth it. Yes. Regardless of how easy or hard it is to take. Yeah, even if it brings some suffering or persecution, um... You know, it definitely is worth it. It's keeping us from falling into these temptations. Right. Yeah. We, and sanctifying us. Yeah. We know it, it'll be worth it. And yes. so that and that, that's very helpful. And so I I said earlier I was gonna loop back around to this idea of, of typology. And so in typology there's a type, which is the first part. Um an example being King David is a type. 
and there's an antitype, which is the fulfillment or the bigger version, which in that case will be Christ, right? David is a type of Christ. Right. He's not Christ. He's not, you know, but he foreshadows what Christ is going to be and how much greater Christ is, even though David himself seemed pretty great. I mean, I'm sure that the Israelites at the time thought this is the ultimate king. Right, but we know he had some issues. Right, we know he had issues. And we know that Christ is the even greater fulfillment of that, right? right and right. so this is how the type-anti-type kind of process works. And Paul is instituting one here. He's saying the type is Israel in the wilderness, committing idolatry, sexual immorality, testing God and grumbling against God. That's the type. And the anti-type is the Corinthian church. He's saying you now have the opportunity to listen to my words and to heed my warning. To watch yourselves and remember this temptation, though it's hard, is not unbeatable and God will give you a way out. It's now your responsibility to watch yourself. And if you don't, you as the antitype will follow in exactly the same footsteps that Israel did. Right. By not being able to fill, to fill that role and falling from the status they had as God's people. And the Corinthian church, you will be excluded from the kingdom because you're not following, you're not true Christians, you're not truly following what Christ has. Hmm. Or you could watch yourselves and stand firm in this and thus be the antitype of Israel, but the outcome is different because you, you listen to the warning. And that's what Paul wants to encourage. He wants to encourage them. To, to listen to him and to, to watch themselves. Take heed. Take heed. And remember that the and remember that there's no temptation that's uncommon. You're not going to get hit with anything that's unbeatable. And that God will provide the way out and to take that way out. Even if it's hard. So would you say this this passage that we're reading today, it's not uh, necessarily about the hardships in life. You know, no, that God no. will not give you more than you ha can handle. Um, other than the hardship of not falling into temptation. Yeah. That yeah. is a hardship of life. Yeah. And that's that's the hardship he's addressing here. Right. Right. But that's a lot different than hardships that aren't related to sin or to temptation, which we have, right? Right. All kinds of hardships. You know, that, that's not... It's not all-encompassing here. Right. It's talking about us watching ourselves and how we deal with temptation and how we fall into sin just like those Israelites did right at, in the in the wilderness that's true so what's our question for the listeners this week my question was what is a way of escape that you've experienced what is a time that you can remember you know what i was I was tempted in this and you can be, you know, use your discretion on this about how in detail you want to get, depending on the form you're responding to us in. But what, what is an example of a way out of temptation that either you've experienced yourself or you've heard experienced? <laughs> I mean, we can do that. So when you answer, you can answer uh, on YouTube, yep, uh, you can be real general about comments. it. Like yeah. if you're, if you, if a way out that you've seen God provide is just a friend helped me see what I was doing or 
you know, you can just say something general like that. Or yeah, you have a family member or friend that, that assists, you know, to help you see what's actually happening or, you know, uh, you listen to a sermon and you and it kind of woke you up and that was what God used or, you know, whatever. Um, you can put a general thing in the comments there. Um, and then on YouTube, but you can also, if you know us personally, text us and tell us, hey, this happened or that happened. Um, or you, you we can, do have an email, yeah, I think. You, you can email too if it's like a more personal way of, of doing it. If you didn't want it on the comment section. Um, you can email, our email is just traineduppod at gmail.com. You can email, email your answers that way too. And we'll, we'll read them, um, and look at them. And, uh, I at least will comment on the video. And you put, didn't comment on the last one. You don't know that. They don't know that. Maybe I did by this point. Maybe you did. I'm leaving this in. You don't even know. You didn't even check, did you? I did check. I commented. That's how I know. Oh, bummer. How about that? <laughs> Dang it, I thought you wouldn't have checked. Because I promised our listeners that we would comment yeah, as well. That's a you thing. Yeah, do you have anything else? Uh, next time. What are we looking at next time? We <laughs> are going to be looking at the passage Philippians 4.13. So if our listeners want to read ahead... Get into the word. Read ahead. Study up. Study up. Train up. Train up for next time. That's what we're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. So this week we'll leave you with a, with a charge from our passage, from the verse right after our passage. This, uh, this verse, verse 14 of chapter 10 in 1 Corinthians starts with therefore. And when you hear therefore, you always got to say, what is that therefore? What is that there for? It's because it links the last thing. And so our charge this week, as we go, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. This is the charge that Paul leaves this topic with in our passage. And this is the charge that we all ought to take up as we go. 